Our guest this afternoon is George Kelling. I should perhaps say Colonel Doctor uh, in the German fashion, Colonel Doctor George Kelling. Uh, he uh, began, spent most of his career in the United States Army beginning in the 1950s, the dark days of the 1950s when General Eisenhower, President Eisenhower warned us of an invasion of, by the Soviet Union uh, John Foster Dulles was trying to roll back the Iron Curtain. Uh, from there, uh, Dr. Kelling spent a good deal of his time in Vietnam. From there, he came back to graduate school at the University of Texas and wrote his uh, dissertation on, of all subjects, Cyprus. And this is the topic that he's going to talk about this afternoon. But George, I have the feeling that not many people here have actually been to Cyprus, including my, regrettably myself. Has anyone else been to? Oh, well, we have a, a lot of people who have been to Cyprus. Great. Uh, but I do think it'd be a good idea if we could persuade uh, Dr. Kelling to say a few words first just uh, about Cyprus, where it is and the nature of the island. First of all, can, can everybody hear me? Yes. In the back, if, I, if you can't hear me, hold up your hand and I'll, I'll, I'll talk louder. Uh, I'm a soldier, I can do that. <laughs> uh, just a couple of words before we start on, on Cyprus, but um, it is one of these islands in the Eastern Mediterranean with a Greek and a Turkish background. And uh, maybe the one place that has not been resolved from the uh, exchange of populations and their resettlements after the First World War. Um, it retained, in the period I'm looking at, and still retains a uh, Turkish and a, and a Greek element in their population. And uh, they have two different two, two separate governments, uh, plus a, a British sovereign base area, which is, which is not part of the island of Cyprus. So the theme of Cyprus is uh, Greek, Greek, Typer, Greek, uh, Turkish relations, or more Greek-Turkish uh, conflict, and it goes on today, although it's much sub subdued from what it used to be. Um, to start, Roger Lewis has a lot to answer for. In 1978, I retired from the army, and <clears throat> 1980 became a returning student at the University of Texas. In 1984, I'd finally clawed my way to the stage of <coughs> choosing a dissertation topic. All bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, I, I went in to see him with a bunch of good ideas. He told me politely but firmly that while these were good ideas, it would be Cyprus. <laughs> my heart sunk, but like a good soldier, I marched off to Cyprus studies. It turned out extremely well and to have been an excellent choice. What he didn't tell me, however, was that Cyprus is addictive. Since Aphrodite landed on the island in prehistory, she has cast her spell to all those who have come there. Crusaders, Templars, Franks, Venetians, Ottomans, 
and generations of later scholars have all been under her magic. Cypress is Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> As proof, 35 years later, I'm still fooling with Cypress history. The topic which captured my att attention <clears throat> was another example of, of uh, the spell of the island, the 1941 defense plan based on mountain outposts, outposts with the medieval name of, of uh, keeps. Unfulfilled plans for military operations can be the driest dust that blows. Reading memoirs and, and narratives of the build-up to the 1944 invasion of France, I have to admit that my eyes glaze over and at the analysis of early and never consummated plans, and I just turn the pages. These plans lying on the shelf, though, can give in insight into the state of mind at the time they were devised. The plan for the defense of Cyprus in 1941 is one such example. It's also arguable that it, that it marked a change in the, in, the, in the tempo of the war. In the early years of World War II, Cyprus was secure, <clears throat> tied in geopolitically with the defense of the, the Levant. The island was garrisoned by a French colonial regiment under command of the, of the French headquarters in Lebanon and Syria, and the French fleet added to the, to the security of the island. So long as the French alliance was healthy, invasion of Cyprus was hard to imagine. In 1940, however, the situation began to change dramatically. The springtime collapse of Normandy and, of Norway and, and Denmark were prelude to the rapid, rapid fall of France in the Low Countries, France <clears throat> accepting a, an armistice in 1940. The security of Cyprus was turned on its head with France and the French Levant transformed from allies to unfriendly neutrals. French hostility was, was in, <clears throat> enhanced by the July 3, 1940 British attack on the French fleet at Merz el-Kabir. The French garrison was withdrawn with a few of its soldiers joining the nation forces of de Gaulle. The peril increased with the German invasion of mainland Greece, followed by a dramatic airborne landing in Crete, both accompanied by Luftwaffe superiority and British evacuations. Thus, in a few months, the outlook for the nation changed from that of a comfortable base deep in friendly territory to an endangered outpost surrounded by hostile powers and unfriendly neutrals. Nearby Syria and Lebanon were, were at least in, the, in informal cooperation with the Germans. Well, after the stunning success of the airborne forces in Corinth and Crete, it seemed that Cyprus would, would be the next item on Hitler's menu. At the same time, the jackals were starting to, to circle the campfires. Italy saw herself as a and as a great power and was notorious for picking up the pieces of other, other uh, campaigns, having carved pieces out of Yugoslavia, Greece, and France. With territories in nearby Dodecanese, Mussolini considered him himself heir to, the, to an eastern Mediterranean domain. And we have, and, uh, we have seen, seen uh, excuse me, supposedly neutral France was, was not uninvolved. The, the island's first air raid was conducted by the Italian Air Force. It did a little harm, but it was the beginning of a series of air raids 
which continued for several years. On one occasion, the island received attacks from German, Italian, and Vichy French aircraft. Softer but more dangerous threats to British sovereignty came from friends and allies. Even in abject defeat, Greece had, had ambitions for the island. The Greek state had been wrested from the Turks through a, through a series of struggles of sheer de determination despite the uh, execution of, of many uh, patriots. What, what by 1940 was called the Megali idea, or the great idea, was a dream of uniting all Greek-speaking peoples under the Greek flag. The idea added, had added Greek, <coughs> Crete and Thrace, and uh, the dream in, involved Ennesis, or union with northern Epirus, or the southern Albania, the Dodecanese, and of course Cyprus. Greek policy turned its thoughts to Cyprus even before the fall of Greece. On April 14th, 10 days before the evacuation of the mainland, <clears throat> but when the end of the campaign was obvious, the American ambassador in Athens re <clears throat> received <clears throat> reported that the, the king of Greece had visited him, noting that the king would prefer to evacuate the court to Cyprus rather than Crete. He suggested that Britain might want to cede an enclave in, in Cyprus to Greece so the king could continue to reign from Greek soil. On May 3rd, the president of the Greek council wrote to the British ambassador by that time in Cyprus, and I'm sorry, in Crete, suggesting <clears throat> that to encourage the, the Greeks at their time of a crisis, the British might grant Cyprus to Greece as a personal present. According to the proposal, <clears throat> During the war, Britain would continue to, to administer the island under the aegis of the Greek king, but with full, with full administration being taken over by Greece after the peace. Although he is re rightly re remembered as an unconstructed Victorian imperialist, Winston Churchill did not object to such ideas out of hand. Even before the, <clears throat> the king's approach to the, to the American ambassador, Churchill, perhaps considering that Greece would be subservient to, to British influence, cabled the British and Middle East commander. If, however, the king or any part of the, of the, of the Greek army is forced to, to leave Greece, every facility will be afforded to them in Cyprus. William Battersell, the governor of Cyprus, immediately cabled the colonial office that such an act would, would make Cyprus ungovernable and in fact, <clears throat> marked the end of the British rule on the island. Doubts about the future of the island were not, <clears throat> were not confined to the, to the Hellenic world. Australian Prime Minister Robert Menzies had been extremely critical of Churchill and his conduct of war, in particular what he viewed as Churchill's cavalier willingness to sacrifice Australian troops to his adventures. With the dispatch of the of, Australian Light Armored <clears throat> Regiment to Cyprus, the Australian Prime Minister saw it all happening again. <clears throat> it appears the intention is to hold Cyprus, at least for the time being, but no further troops can be made available to Cyprus. To Menzies, the forecast was clear. You will, of course, appreciate what this means. Another forced evacuation will have serious effect on public opinion in America and elsewhere 
well, and elsewhere, well, in Australia, there, there are certain to be serious reactions. His conclusions were logical given his knowledge of the situation. Greeks should be held and to that end should be garrisoned by a sufficiently strong force. Or if such a force is not available, the enterprise should be abandoned. Governor Battersell's gloomy prognostication reflected that of the Australian Prime Minister. Reflecting his insight on, as the man on the spot, he minuted, morale of the majority of Cyprus, Cypriots is at its lowest ebb, being sunk rapidly over the, after Crete. There are many mutterings. In the event of invasion, we can expect little help from, from the population, and some might even turn against us. Responsible for the colony, he, de <clears throat> he deplored the cost to, to those un under, under his administration for what he perceived to be a military of no military benefit. The battle would involve inter alia the destruction of main towns and, and, and villages with much loss of life. We shall gain nothing in prestige, but we shall cause un untold suffering to, to civilian Cypriots. At the center of the government, while Churchill maintained a stiff upper lip concerning plans for the, for the island, there were stirrings down, up and down Whitehall. <clears throat> Opinions different in <clears throat> different parts of the Foreign Office, but the trend was toward real politic view of the possession of Cyprus and part of the, <clears throat> as part of the uh, overall post-war society for defense of the Mediterranean. One example of the dozens of, of Foreign office, office memos on the topic is perhaps typical of Foreign Office thinking. It is most likely that we shall be able to, in practice, to be able to maintain our sovereignty over Cyprus in, in the political conditions likely to succeed after the war. <clears throat> Bowing to what the minister, Foreign Office official <clears throat> S. Walker, saw as the inevitable, the, the best of course was to make what was, make what capital was possible out of the, out of the <clears throat> out of the inevitable evacuation. We should do everything possible. To, to safeguard our strategic intentions. Perhaps the memo which best revealed the Foreign Office official mind was by official Reginald Bolker on May 28, 1941, as the Allies were evac evacuating Crete. It's possible that on taking Cyprus, the government will decide, will declare it to be a part of, of Greater Greece. The colonial office was, was left out of the, of the speculation, ostensibly due to oversight, <clears throat> but their objections were not, not decisive. The formal word, not for the first time, was in the hands of the prime minister. On June 6, 1941, he sent a note to the foreign secretary, bringing the discussion to a close. It's much better to leave all, <clears throat> all mentions of territorial <clears throat> readjustment until after the war. I do not think we should cede an inch of British territory during the war. Even in this dark hour, Churchill's innate op optimism shone through, tempered by healthy realism. It does not follow that the Cyprus will be immediately taken. If, they, if the Germans take it, they will probably give it uh, nominally to the Greek Quisling government while, while using it. It won't make much difference in what happens. With that decision, the, the, the discussion ended with the war began, the war continued, as did the crisis. The ball passed into the court of the military commander, which had, had the plan for the, 
for what was seen as the imminent assault on the island. Well, considering the plans, the contrast with those for defense of Cyprus with the plans for defense of England were notable. Churchill envisioned a defense of, of England to contest every, every block, every field, every city with the entire population. His finest hour speech, delivered almost exactly a year earlier, was rightly considered evocative of the, air, of the spirit of the time. The raising of, of, of the home guard and stay-behind parties to, to wreak havoc behind, behind German lines made it clear that it was a people's war to be envisioned and, and would, would certainly have, have been put into effect had the Germans invaded. Perception and reality on the ground in Cyprus presented a, a contrast. Governor Battersteel and the colonial authorities realized that the Cypriots could not be relied upon to assist in the defense of the island, while at the same time images of the French roads of 1940 clogged with refugees making military deployments all but impossible were still clear in the military official mind. On May 23rd, the colonial administration sent guidance to the population in case of invasion. The short message told the population three times, stay where you are, Put, <clears throat> pointing out that the enemy would machine gun refugees from the air and make the streams of those in flight <clears throat> would clog the roadways needed for the defense of the island. There was no mention of re resisting the invader on the beaches or in the interior. Without a doubt, the governor and staff were <clears throat> well aware of the situation in the island and the outlook of the, of the Cypriots. In addition, the later ex experience of, of civilian resistance in Western Europe, or for that matter, in mainland Greece, in Greece and Crete, were still in the future. Cyprus, Cyprus would, have, would have its people's war in 1955 with the outlook of the Greek Ioka rising, but that was to, that was to appear uh, 10 years later. Even so, some, some voices noted the tepid cold arms. G.O. Toit, an English resident of the colony, wrote to one of the English language newspapers that on the day of Governor Battersteel's uh, advice to the population, saying, I searched your, page, your pages for some, some inspiring official message to be of good cheer, and what do I find? Two notices. One promises showing currency notice in, in the near future. The other, the population of the fifth report of the Cyprus Commission on the Preservation of, of Official Monuments. <clears throat> His frustration was clear. Ye gods, when will someone arise and, <clears throat> and inspire us with, with the will for the preservation of the Cyrus, Cyprus, the empire, and our heritage of freedom? Never once a flesh and blood personal appeal to the Cypriot in the impassioned language which the Cypriots in particular expect and understand. Hard not to sympathize with Toit, but he doesn't seem to have lighted the fire. Churchill reassured the foreign and colonial offices sparred, Australia carped, the governor expected an invasion, and Geo Toit fulminated. But the understaffed garrison had, of the island had a, had a battle to prepare for. The German juggernaut appeared to, to have been all but inevitable, with the dramatic German victories 
through Denmark and Norway, the Low Countries, France, and in recent weeks, assaults on continental Greece and Crete, the latter three resulting in, in costly British evacuations, <coughs> appeared that the, the British airborne assault on, on Crete could, could be easily unleashed on Cyprus. I have found nothing in the records to indicate that there was a conscious design to have more evacuations. But the defense plan called for the defense of the interior, which would have precluded evacuation even had the British had the air and naval power to make uh, 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 such an act possible. Coast defense was not entirely neglected. For example, I found the remains of a machine gun post overlooking the rocks near Paphos, where Aphrodite came out of the sea. There were coastal outposts, but no main system of, to repel invaders. As noted above, it was to be a, a, a defense by British forces, not a people's war. The garrison included an infantry battalion of the Cyprus Regiment and some part-timers of the Cyprus Volunteer Force, but the local units were not prominent in, in the defense scheme. British thinking did not see the Cypriot as a fighter. A review of the records yields a number of comments on the suitability of the Cypriot for military life. For example, a pre-war war office study noted climate, effect on natives, Although probably in great, in great measure responsible for the constitutional laziness and thriftless nature of the Aboriginal Cypriot, the climate cannot be said to have any marked effect on the native population. <clears throat> the war diary of a packed transport group explained it may prove of interest the, the peculiarity of Cypriot, Cypriot troops. Their grandfathers were, were in all probability brigands living in mountain villages. Murder is unfortunately not unheard of. <clears throat> Men will knife each other over a gambling debt at cards and will shoot the regimental police and kill them. Gambling is popu popular and very difficult to, to control. And with the fortnight fortnightly pay, a man may, may lose all his money and that leads to selling kit. It is obvious that the British command did not expect to raise any reliable units from Cyprus villages. In a somewhat half-hearted attempt to use the Cypriots for the, island's defense, Cypriots for the island's defense, the Cyprus Commando was formed in Nicosia on, on June 20, 25, 1941. Despite the early, early strategy view of the uh, Cypriot as, as a brigand, with traits one would expect to, to be exploited for irregular warfare, the headquarters saw the first act as, as making proper soldiers out of the approximately 60 commandos. The commander gave them basic military training with emphasis on teaching them how to shave on day five of training. <laughs> the record notes that the recruits lack, lack coordination and suppleness. It's hard to read between the lines of a bare bones war diary but it appears that the intent was, for, was to train soldiers rather than a band of guerrillas. The unit was issued with the prestigious Commando Green Beret, but the armament was captured Italian rifles with apparently no automatic weapons or grenades or demolition materials. 
The unit made rec reconnaissance of nearby mountains <coughs> and established, established ammunition and fuel depots in the forest, but there seems to be little enthusiasm for, or realism in the projects. The Cypress Commando was quietly disbanded after about six months, after, after which time it, it stood up. Perhaps influenced by the heady air of the Cypress of Aphrodite, the Crusaders, Richard the Lionheart, and others, the strong points were given the, the evocative name of keeps. The plan called for a series of 11 keeps, most of them on high ground, to be garrisoned by one or more companies supported by mobile and armored units. A large central reserve would be available to go to the aid of the keeps under attack, and some fighter airfields would be defended to be used in the support of the keeps. The intent was not for the keeps to be static fortresses, but rather bases for mobile columns roaming outside the perimeters. The mobile columns would scream the keeps and keep the roads open for the Central Reserve. The plan made, made evacuation all but impossible, in effect assumed that the enemy could land from the sea at will, and supply dumps and, and installations near the coast were being prohibited. It's easy to pick holes in the plan. There's a certain unreality about medieval keeps out of range for, for mutual fire support and open in, in defeat and in detail. It appears that the keeps would have been an invader's dream. Such speculation is of little value and only shows the accuracy of 75 years hindsight. Full understanding of the effects of the power and the vulnerability of airfields to ground attack as well as un underground and, and guerrilla warfare were to come. As it turned out, the crisis, if it, it turned out the crisis, if it ever existed, was fleeting. The British invasion of Syria began on July 10th, the date of the Australian Prime Minister's disparaging letter. With the Syrian and Palestinian airfields in Allied hands, air support against any invader was assured. The island's defense remained weak and an Italian-German invasion was not, not impossible, but would serve, serve little strategic purpose. Other omens were also favorable. By mid-1941, the British ultra-program of, of breaking German codes was becoming reliable. Although well aware of the danger of over-reliance uh, on, on ultra, Britain's strategists knew that the, the credit, uh, excuse me, that the uh, Decrypted German signals traffic made almost no reference to the attack on Cyprus. Perhaps more significant, the British were aware of the up upcoming invasion of the Soviet Union. The highly classified information was only available to the London command post and the highest levels of the Middle East Command. The beleaguered planners on Cyprus were unaware of these impending events. In addition, it now seems that the threat of, of a German invasion never existed in the eyes of the, of the Nazi authorities. In the aftermath of, of, of the successful invasion of Crete, the German juggernaut appeared inv invincible. The commander of the German airborne assault on Crete was ready to continue. General, General Kurt Student, commander of the 11th Air Corps, which had conducted the assault, was raring to go and proposed an early assault on Cyprus to follow up the dramatic victory in Crete. 
He did not speak for the, the, the Nazi power structure. The Greek, Greek campaign had been a Pyrrhic victory with German casualties so heavy that, that <clears throat> Hitler, opportunistly was, never attempted another attempt, airborne coup. The, the Germans did not totally dis discard the idea of an attack on Cyprus, but such an assault would have been little, little the, uh, and, and such an assault would have been theoretically possible during 1943. The fog of war was thick. Was, was 77 years after the fact, we know, we know that the threat of a German invasion of the island never really ex existed. It was not so clear at the time in, in London or in Nicosia. It appears that the British officials assumed the island would have been, been lost. Even Winston Churchill, for all his optimistic <clears throat> pronouncements, appears to have felt that Germans would attack and conquer. It's difficult to criticize their analysis at the time. No responsible official would, could realistically have, have ruled out a German attack on Crete, on Cyprus. The British defense plan is more difficult to evaluate. Since the invasion did not take place, it is impossible to say how the plan and the keeps would have worked in practice. It is hard, it's hard to banish the concept of the keep as a crusader castle from which armored vehicles like the Knights of Old would sally forth over the drawbridge to smite the foe. Despite the nomenclature, the idea is not particularly unusual, and is quite similar to the boxes in the Japanese offensives in, in India in 1944, and even more like the strong points in the second Chindu operation in Burma. A close, a close reading is more interesting for what it leaves out than what it says. The Cyprus defensive scheme more or less assumes German air superiority, and an appendix dealing with the, with the concept of the keeps does not mention friendly or enemy air power. There's no mention of logistics or stocking up the keeps in, in advance of battle. It is notable that the, that the keeps were out of range from one another and unable to provide mutual fire support. Also, well not mentioned, Dispersion of keeps across the island appears to assume that the Germans would be able to land by sea or air at will. After the battles of France and Greece, there could be no doubt the potential for these types of attack that, and that they were possible and effective. Since the troops available for the defense of the island were in any case insufficient, the plan appears to be one of, of despair to make the best of an impossible situation. There was no battle and we will never know. It appears that a German invasion backed by sheer air power would become a series of last stands with the German forces wiping out the keeps one by one. The inland location of the keeps was all but precluded evacuation. I have found no document to so state. But once again, after the ignominious evacuations of Norway, Dunkirk, Greece, and, and Crete, it's possible the Cyprus commander had been given the order that there would be no more evacuations to do or die. Whether the supposition is, is correct or not, mid-1941 saw the end of the nosedive of British fortunes that had taken, had taken since the spring of 1940. Successes in Syria and Iraq went far to, to stabilize the eastern Mediterranean, and the German invasion of Russia made an invasion of Britain unlikely. 
mid-1941 was not a turning point, but it was perhaps a, a milestone. The invasion threat came and went, and the war moved on. Although established as a strategic base in the eastern Mediterranean, and while it fulfills that, continues to fulfill that role in the years before and, and, and does today with the sovereign base areas, which are not part of the Republic of Cyprus, British, the British possession of Cyprus was a strategic deficit in 1939 to 1945. The incident is forgotten, but perhaps it took a new life in the 1950s, since the sites partially prepared for the keeps might well have, been seen later, have seen later service as hides for the Ioka revolt, in which the view of the Cypriot as a passive non-fighter was put to, put to the test. I found several points of this talk very engaging about the war itself, but I would like to pick up at the end, uh, because I, for one, have always thought that the British should have simply ceded Cyprus to Greece after the war. That would have solved the problem, and the Turks were then too weak to have done anything about it. And I know there's some support for this, but why didn't it work? Um, Cyprus was always seen as a strategic base which could not be ceded. And uh, it's been a long time since my dissertation, but the famous, the famous Hopkins endeavor about uh, 1954 stated there are some colonies which will never be given up because of their strategic importance. And uh, I think that um, you see that point of view still, still going on, that even after Cyprus was, was ungovernable, after the Oka rising, the final uh, the, uh, arrangement still left two areas as British territory. And these are specifically not, not British bases in Cyprus. They are British, British territories apart from Cyprus. Now, I can see that maybe 2030, when there's an overall reunification of, of Greek and, and Turkish Cyprus and a call for the removal of all, all foreign troops, we shall see how that, whether that's going to stand up or not. But we won't know until then. David? I was just thinking that probably the, the best known family, member of the Greek royal family is Prince Philip. Yes. And yes. Coming directly from his father's side. Absolutely. You know, despite the fact that he took, uh, you know, his mother's name, Mountbatten, <coughs> was turned into Mountbatten, and all yeah. that. But I'm wondering if there's any kind. And he was during World War II. While he served with the Royal Navy, he was also part of the Battle of Crete and the Battle of Cape Matapan, and received the Greek War Cross. And so, I, but I'm wondering, since given that the British royal family actually has a very strong connection to Greece through him, and there is apparently an official. 
Greek royal family that I don't think very many people know about. <coughs> is there any possible role for a monarchy in particular, or maybe like a less used member of the British royal family, like Prince Harry, to sort of assume the <laughs> royal family that might be in some way, in a half serious way, potentially useful to Greek or Greece or Cyprus or Macedonia or whatever they've agreed to call Macedonia? Is there any way that the royal what? family could usefully participate in this? Let, let, me, let me give you a good guess, and I don't think I can support it very, very close. But when Philip became, uh, became British, especially when he married Elizabeth, they made every possible effort to se separate him from anything to do with the Greek throne. And uh, I, I think at that time, the, Greek, the king of Greece was still on, was still on the throne. <clears throat> and if he had any interest in the future of, of Cyprus, I've never seen it. I, I can't say he didn't. And uh, I've, I've never seen anything along that line. Uh, it makes you wonder, though. Yes, sir? Churchill was very interested in the, during the war of trying to get the Turks to join the Allied side. Was Cyprus ever in, in any way um, a possible bargaining chip for that? <laughs> I don't think that the British mind in the 40s, or in the, during the war, ever saw Cyprus as anything but a, a Greek island with some Turks on it. Um, um, now, he did a lot of things to bring Turkey into the war. But, and, uh, you know, as we were just talking about Q, that there's a lot of records in Q. But I, I, I have to say, I've never seen anything along that line. They, uh, they were always dealing with, um, with the Greeks, but the Turks said that if there's ever a change in the status of the island, since it was originally Turkish, they expected to be consulted. Yes, sir. Carl, I got a series of related questions. Yes, sir. Uh, first of all, what was the size of British military forces? And what kind of units composed the force? Tanks, artillery, infantry? What are we talking about here? Talking about probably four medium-grade British battalions and a light-armored light armored regiment, uh, plus a lot, of, uh, a lot of this and that. Um, I say there was, a, there was a 1st Battalion Cyprus Regiment, which um, Pretty much was was designed to guide to uh, to guard uh, the copper fields on the on the western part of the, of the island, but it was never it, it varied, you know, as the war went on, but uh, never more than than six battalions. What ten, fifteen thousand? Uh, say seven hundred to a battalion. Uh, um, I can't count. <laughs> yeah. But and it's like. How, how were they supplied? Uh, what were the needs, both civilian and military, at this time? Uh, was were supply routes open from I don't know Egypt, from Turkey, um, uh, the Middle East? Where uh, uh, where would stuff come from? A lot of stuff was coming from from Egypt to Egypt. to Famagusta. Yeah, and uh, Famagusta on, on the extreme eastern eastern coast was was the best yeah. port. Yeah. Um, that include food. Yes. Uh, food both ways. Um, they, they also, um, an, Italian, an Italian bomber landed in Cyprus 
and uh, it was still flyable, so they loaded it up with, with Cypriot potatoes and sent it to Egypt to sell. <laughs> for, uh, so it, it was both ways. But the island was generally, uh, generally fed itself. And, uh, Self-sufficient and basic food. Basically, yeah. They uh, one of the first innovations of the uh, of the Cyprus government when when the war broke out was they they diverted the, the the grape crop or part of it from wine to bread and made raisin bread raisin bread to make the the, the wheat go further and such things as that. But generally they generally they fed themselves. I'm sure there were there were some things they didn't raise, but uh, there were uh, th there was no famine in the island. Okay. Thank you. Walter. Yeah, I haven't been to Cyprus yet, but uh, I'm wondering if it's similar to uh, Haiti, Dominican Republic. Is there a, a division between the Greek side and the Turkish side? Yes. Um, all intermingled. No, no. Um, and in, 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 in 1974, at the time. First the Greeks invaded, then the, then the Turks invaded. And they had a, a very bloody exchange of populations, Turks going north, Greeks going south. And they established what they called the Green Line, which is really just a green magic marker on, on the map, <coughs> which became the frontier. And in my days when I was in Cyprus, it was a guarded frontier with soldiers on both sides, a uh, uh, a buffer zone in between, and UN soldiers patrolling in, in between. Uh, now, it, it's still two states, and the line is still there, but it's much more open. For example, a Turk can take a taxi to, or a Turk can, can work in the south in, in Greek Cyprus, or he can take a taxi to the, to the airport and fly to somewhere. They couldn't do that when I was there. Yeah, you need a pa you need a passport. Yeah, it, it is a it is a frontier, <clears throat> but it, it's not like the Berlin Wall now anymore. It's it's more, more something you can go through. John, in, I, I was there in 1969, and even then it was divided with part of Nicosia under yes, yeah, and, and part under Turkish yeah. control, and then the north coast under only under Turkish yeah. control, and you had to join a United Nations convoy to yes. go from Nicosia. To yes. For the North Coast. So. Yeah, I was there in 1974. But as it went through Nicosia, the, the, the buffer zone was, a, was a, a kilometer wide. But going through Nicosia, it was one street. And I, one time I, I told some of the other people this already, but I went up on a checkpoint on, on the Greek side. And there on the Greek side, there was a Greek Cypriot soldier with his rifle, bored stiff. Yes, sir. And you looked, oh, and across the street, was a Turkish Cypriot soldier, once again, bored stiff. In the center was a Canadian UN soldier sitting on a chair with a, 
with a tennis ball. They throw it, hit the tennis ball, catch it in his cap. Hit the tennis ball, catch it in his cap. Now, there was a separation, but I mean, they weren't shooting at each other all, all the time. Yeah, they, they, there was some violent act. They blew up the hotel that we stayed in, the uh, Ledra, 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 Ledra Palace, yes. Yeah, just a, in late 1969, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, well, there were always incidents. I mean, always. I mean, what I say was was typical, but you didn't see it everywhere. There was always, you know, mining. Uh, in fact, when things uh, loosened up a little bit, the uh, the island got a, a, a European after they, they joined the European Union. They got a European grant to demine the the green zone, the green line. But but they are still separated, but not like not as hostile as they were. Yes, ma'am. Uh, cutting to current events, Cyprus is uh, widely known these days as a banking haven. Yeah. Can you connect that to the story you've just told us? The banking code? I can only give you anecdotes. I, 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 I've lost touch with Cyprus uh, since, since my day. It's, it's changed a lot. Well, since the since the demise of the Cold, of the Cold War, I am told that uh, ten million dollars a day in the nineties was coming into Cyprus in in, in briefcases by Russians. And I, I don't know the the line between money laundering and offshore investment. I, I can't say, but it's totally it's totally changed since my days. And for example, the the Cyprus Bank we hear so much about. In my day, that was where middle class people kept had their savings account, and uh, so it's changed. But um, the, the bank on Cyprus that Wilbur Ross was the chairman. Yeah, of? and uh, there was so much, so much unknown money there that when the when the Greek economy collapsed, Cyprus collapsed with it, and they put a tax on on uh, bank accounts. Uh, George, I have a question about yes, the early uh, years of the war. Uh, when the British actually faced a pretty dangerous situation, they didn't know that there was going to be a diversion of German troops towards the Soviet Union, and the danger of invasion seemed very real. And the governor seemed to think that the morale of the Cypriot population was very low. In fact, he, I believe he said that we can't really uh, depend on the, the, the uh, Cypriots not turning against us. Yes. Now, how do you explain such a low morale on the part of the, the British uh, population of, the, um, the population of Cyprus? This is not a very good example of effective colonial administration. <laughs> um, I've seen an auto nationalism and uh, I think I think the, the plain fact was that that the uh, the British took over Cyprus from the Turks. Never, you know, the, the, the Greeks were not were not consulted. I, I'm not pro-Greek. I'm just giving my, my analysis. But the Greeks never felt that this was their that the colonial administration was their their war. Had that very little uh, loyalty to it or whatever, and. Uh, they're, they're, they felt that there were Greeks living living in Cyprus, and um, so they uh, 
they never had any particular interest in furthering uh, British interests. Now, there were a couple of prominent Cypriot families who were very pro-British, or their own, I mean, loyally pro-British, and a couple of them were trying to mediate, uh, but uh, they were sort of frozen, frozen out. No sympathy with mainland Greeks? I'm sorry? No sympathy with mainland Greeks? Yeah, their sympathies with mainland. They felt we are Greeks. Yeah. What about the Turks? The Turks? They were a little more ambivalent. They never, I think they, they were a minority. They did what they had to get by. To get by. Uh, they never, um, um, I, I, I don't, I think they, they felt they were Cyprus Turks and they, were, they expected to be, to be recognized as such. But they never had the feeling that the Greeks did, that they were just really Greeks who were in the wrong place. Did they resent the Brits? The Turks? Yeah. Not much. Um, they, um, <coughs> they probably saw the Brits as, as, a, uh, as a guard against the Greeks. Yes, sir. Um, for an hour or so before the seminars, I go to the library and catch up on periodicals. And today, I saw one entitled Cyprus Today. I thought, perfect, I'd never seen it before. So I pulled it out, but the last issue was from 2014. So it depends on how you find yeah. today, I guess. And then leaping through it, it seemed to be all Greek. Yeah. And uh, so I'm wondering, are there any efforts to integrate or accommodate or <clears throat> include the two nationalities at all? Not this really. No. Not really. Like it's like the United States and Canada. They're, they're two separate. Yeah. They're two separate but countries. They represented the UN, right? Uh, the representative of the UN is is Greek Cyprus. Oh, okay, that's what And the what they call the Turkish Republic of North Cyprus <laughs> has uh, diplomatic relations with with. Uh, with Turkey, and they're talking about a couple of the Turkic states in the post-Soviet Union. I don't know if they've solidified that or not, but they're they're isolated. Um, an interesting thing to me, I don't really understand all these things, but the EU considers the uh, Turkish Cypriots as as members of the EU. Based. Um, Based on the fact that, as far as they're concerned, the island the island joined the EU. What's the breakdown in the population? <clears throat> I can't give you numbers. It's about um, sixty-five percent, thirty-five percent, about. Kind of like Northern Ireland. Yeah, the the, yeah. the, the twenty-fourteen. Uh, uh, let me make one more. The twenty-fourteen thing that happened at the time of the collapse of the economy, and they quit doing that. That was the last. Um, that was the last copy. Yes, ma'am. I was wondering what their religion was. Is it Greek Orthodox or uh, Catholicism? Or? I'm sorry. They have several different religions, like Greek. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of other religions in in uh, in Cyprus besides uh, besides uh, Muslim and Greek 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 uh, Orthodox. And they're very, they, they know who they are and they're very concerned about their rights. 
And I can name a few, and there's probably some I'll miss, but they had what they called the Latins, who were Catholics who were descendants of the Crusaders. There's the Eastern Rite Catholics. There's what they call the Mino Bimbakoi, which is Lindsay Woolsey, which is sort of a mixed uh, Turkish, um, Turk Greek Orthodox <coughs> Muslim. And there's, 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 a, there's a few other. These are, these are small in numbers, but they're very, very, uh, they know exactly who they are, and they're not, they're not part of these other communities, and they'll tell you so. I think we're coming to our last question. Yes, yes ma'am. Really, mine was kind of more of a comment. When I was in Cyprus in uh, January 2013, went on a touristy trip to North Cyprus. Yeah. And I was. I was surprised to hear you say that the EU considers Turkish Cypriots as citizens because as we were going across, they made a big hoopla about if we got our passport stamped by the northern Cypriot side, then the EU wouldn't yeah. let us in. And this big, I got my passport stamped anyway. <laughs> but I'm just I'm, I'm surprised you would say that they consider the Turkish Cypriots as citizens um, in that situation that I they, uh I can't get into the citizenship, but they consider them, there's a lot of uh, EU aid projects in, in Turkish Cyprus. But they, they, the EU considers that the, uh, um, that the whole island is in the EU. I don't know if there's going to be a Turks in it or not. <laughs> uh, George, last, or next to the last question, I guess. Well, I, I thought that Back in the day, the, the, the Turkish population was much more than 35% during the days of yeah. Soka. I did too. Also, I think. Wasn't it? Uh, depends on who you ask. Uh, I think today, I'm, I'm thinking about today because there's, there's a lot of Turks that have moved into. No, it was more like, it was more like um, 82, 82.18 then, I think at that time. But there's been a lot of immigration into Turkey, Cyprus. And one that I noticed is a lot of Bulgarian Bulgari Turks were expelled from Bulgaria and they were relocated into Turkey, Cyprus. And of course there's a, there's a Turkish garrison of something like 40,000 40, soldiers there. Uh, George, last question on an entirely different subject, yes, the sir. literary dimension. Tell us your views about Lawrence Durrell. They're not going to be very popular. Okay. Uh, I, I, of course, every, you, if you're in Cyprus, you've got you to read better weapons. You've got you to do it. Um, I thought he was the, the typical condescending <laughs> British chinless wonder. Uh, you know, uh, that's, that's my opinion, and, and I, I can't prove it. You know, that's, that's what I got out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, he was very, very condescending. And I remember some, one time he was saying, yes, uh, and with great difficulty I maintained my status as a, as a philhelene. And, and everything he said was showing the, the Cypriots these sort of cute little people down, down there. I, I didn't like it. Tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. 